Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters, on this uh, joyous Easter morning. Uh, we're now going to look at the good news of Jesus' resurrection in John 20. There is an outline uh, on the live stream uh, webpage, and that contains references to other passages uh, that I'll be referring to. Let's ask God to help us now understand his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Convict us, we pray, by your spirit of its truth and give us understanding of what it means for us today. And help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Confusion, grief, fear, doubt. That's how you could describe the emotional climate. And none of them are comfortable emotions, all distressing to experience, distressing to endure. And though we might know them today, I am not talking about the confusion, grief, fear and doubt of pandemic-afflicted Australia. I'm talking about the confusion, grief, fear and doubt we meet amongst Jesus' first followers in John 20. There's confusion about the empty tomb. Has someone come, as Mary claimed, and taken away the body of their Lord to some unknown location? It looks like John, verse 8, that other disciple, not knowing the scriptures about the resurrection, is inclined to believe her. What else could those folded grave clothes mean? But those grave clothes are a puzzle. Why would someone taking Jesus' body use such care in rolling them up? Confusion, grief, Mary weeps. She is inconsolable, asked by the angels and then by Jesus why she is weeping. She speaks of her distress at not knowing where Jesus' body is. This final cruelty, this removal of the body, robbing her of the opportunity to show her love of Jesus in her care for his corpse, has undone her. We understand that. The laws passed in Queensland in 2017 that deny parole to a criminal who will not tell the family where their victim's body is. Speak of the power of that longing, that longing in the words of Queensland's shadow attorney general, to say goodbye to their loved ones and give them the appropriate farewell they deserve. Confusion, grief and verse 19 Fear, the fear of the gathered disciples, a realistic and genuine fear that those who had killed their rabbi would now come after them, seek to destroy even the memory of Jesus. And doubt, or better, verse 25, the stubborn refusal of Thomas to believe what his friends told him, despite him having known them well for three years, despite their unanimity of witness to seeing the risen Jesus. A stubborn refusal to believe that something so far out of his experience of life as he knew it could be true. Confusion, grief, fear, a refusal to believe despite the evidence. Not a good place to be. We know that. But Mary, the apostles, Thomas, they couldn't change their circumstances, couldn't remove the cause by themselves of the way they felt. They couldn't just decide that They'd look on the bright side of life and make themselves feel different. 
The body was gone. Their enemies were murderous. It was just too hard for Thomas to accept, too difficult for him to risk being disappointed again. But what they could not do for themselves, the appearance of the risen Jesus could. Tears are dried. Joy takes the place of fear. Disbelief becomes belief and confusion is resolved. But it is not the presence of Jesus alone, alive in the body in which he was killed, that brings the change. It is the word, the risen Jesus speaks. Mary at first doesn't recognise Jesus. That's understandable. We often don't see what we're not expecting to see. Mary was looking for a corpse, not a living Jesus. Her grief is preoccupying and the text suggests she's not even looking at Jesus directly. It's when Jesus calls her by name that she turns to him and she knows him. Raboni, she says, teacher. It's the word of Jesus that brings Mary out of her grief, that restores her relationship with him, that dries her tears. Even if the reunion must be temporary for Jesus has to ascend to the Father. Mary knows Jesus lives and his word orients her to the reality of his rule, his continuing rule with the Father. Later that night, Jesus joins his fearful apostles behind closed doors and he greets them with a word of peace and then shows them his hands and his side. Without that word, peace be with you, Jesus' appearance by itself might have terrified them or they might have been left uncertain about how he felt about their abandoning him. But now they rejoice, or the ESV were glad, but it's better rejoice on seeing him. Uh, Jesus' appearance didn't solve all their problems. The authorities were still hostile and in the months and years to come some would be imprisoned, some killed. Yet this joy, brought by the presence and word of the living Jesus, endured. As Jesus had said to them before his death in John 16, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Hearing the word of peace, they know they had peace with the risen king and judge whose word was true, who would raise them to life, whose peace no one could take from them. Thomas was not with them that first Easter Sunday evening, but eight days later he is with the others when the risen Lord Jesus appears again. It's the word of Jesus that confronts Thomas's unbelief. Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And it's the word of Jesus that challenges him to change. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It is Jesus' appearance and his word that brings conviction to Thomas about who Jesus is, that brings him to confess, my Lord and my God. And Jesus pronounces as, as blessed those who believe, believe the word without seeing. And it is Jesus' word that brings clarity to the confusion about the empty tomb. His appearance, the risen, risen in the body in which he was killed, his walking, talking, able to be touched body, explains why there's not a body in the tomb that Easter morning. It isn't robbery, but resurrection. 
But even a resurrection without a context is confusing. Why Jesus? What does his resurrection mean? Oh, is this just a random hiccup in the universe, reversing for a moment the one-way traffic of humanity to death? It's the word of Jesus spoken throughout his ministry and then, as Luke tells us, spoken in his resurrection appearances as he explains the Old Testament to his followers. It's the word of Jesus that gives the context for understanding what the resurrection means. Hearing the word, his followers know that this is the resurrection that Jesus said would happen. They know he speaks the word of God. Oh, they know this is the resurrection of the one who claimed to be the Son of God, sent from the Father, the promised King of the Jews. It's by his word that they know he is that one. And so his rule eternal, his authority universal, he reigns now. By his word, they know that this resurrection is his triumph over his enemies, the vindication of his claim that he is the resurrection and the life and can give life, eternal life, the life of the age to come to all who believe in him. In John 20, we see it is the risen Jesus calling by name that brings comfort. It is the risen Jesus speaking peace that overcomes fear. It is the risen Jesus confronting and challenging unbelief that brings conviction. It is the risen Jesus teaching the word that brings clarity to the meaning of his resurrection. The word of the living Jesus is what his followers then and now need to hear. And it is the word of the living Jesus, verses 21 to 23, that appoints the apostles to bring that word, that comforting, peace-bringing, conviction-working word to us so we can hear it today. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now to help us understand how what Jesus does here guarantees that we can now hear his word, the word of the risen king. Let's ask four questions. So firstly, what does it mean for Jesus to be sent by the Father? Just as, as the Father has sent me, even so, says Jesus to the apostles, I am sending you. To work out what it means for the apostles to be sent by Jesus, we need to look first at what Jesus has said it meant for him to be sent by the Father. And the references are in the outline. For Jesus to be sent by the Father means that he is to be committed to doing his Father's will. For Jesus to be sent by the Father means that he speaks the words the Father gives him. I declare to the world, he says in John 8, what I have heard from him. For Jesus to be sent by the Father means that Jesus does the work the Father has given him to do. For Jesus to be sent by the Father means that Jesus seeks the Father's glory in all things. For the apostles to be sent by Jesus as Jesus has been sent by the Father 
means that in their ministry they are to seek his glory, to be committed to doing his will, to speak his words, the words he has given them to speak, and do the works Jesus has given them to do. Their role, sent by Jesus, is to bring to the world Jesus' word, show to the world Jesus' greatness, and seek Jesus' will in judgment and mercy. Uh, Why do they receive this commission now? Uh, How can sinful men who abandoned Jesus, who ran away from him, be ready for this task? Jesus can commission them now because he has died for their sins. He's fitted them for this task. This is not the first time Jesus has spoken of sending the apostles into the world. He did so in John 17, where he prayed these words for his followers, those who had believed that he had come from the Father. John 17, verse 17, he asked the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus' consecration is his separating of himself from life. It is his giving of himself to the task the Father has given him to do, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus does this so those he sends into the world can also be sanctified. That is, set apart, made holy for and by the truth. Jesus can send the apostles into the world because by his death he has cleansed them from their sin, made them those who can know the Father's love, adopted as his children, and most importantly, fitted them to receive the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus' death on the cross, the Spirit could not come and dwell in the apostles. And without the Spirit, the apostles are not equipped to speak Jesus' word. It is the Spirit, we read in John 14 to 16, who will guide the apostles into truth and to bring to their remembrance all that Jesus has said so that they will know his will and the word they speak will be the word Jesus has given them. It is the Spirit who through the apostles will bear a witness that will bring glory to Jesus. The coming, or this coming of the Spirit that Jesus spoke of in John 14 to 16, a coming that will be dependent on Jesus going to the Father, who is now the Apostle's Father, is symbolised here by Jesus breathing on them and saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. <coughs> this is a commissioning, an authorization for ministry, a ministry that will begin with the coming of the Spirit to them at Pentecost. The frail, imperfect apostles can now be commissioned for this task because Jesus has died for their sins and so made them those in whom his spirit, the spirit of God, can dwell. Their ministry, its possibility, its reality, its content and its importance all come from Jesus and their ministry will be important for the whole world, for us. The consequences of Jesus equipping and commissioning them is that if you forgive the sins of any, he says to them, they are forgiven. 
If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Jesus' statement doesn't confer an authority on the apostles to decide what is to be forgiven and what is not to be forgiven separate from their commissioning. Their ministry has this consequence, this outcome, only as they are sent by Jesus, as he has been sent by the Father. That is, it is only as they do Jesus' will, seek Jesus' glory, speak the words given to them by Jesus. That is, as they preach the gospel entrusted to them by Jesus, that they forgive sins or attain them. But their ministry, as they speak the words of Jesus in the power of Jesus' spirit, will mediate the judgment of Jesus, which is the judgment of God. What is Jesus' judgment? To whom, say, does Jesus forgive sins? It is only here in John's Gospel that Jesus speaks of the forgiveness of sins. In the other Gospels, Jesus forgives sins on earth, but that's not recorded in John. Rather, in John's Gospel, we see Jesus offering eternal life, eternal life to all who believe. John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, said Jesus, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Or John 6, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That eternal life, Jesus promises, is dependent on the forgiveness of sin. And in John, that forgiveness which spares in the judgment and makes possible eternal life and the receiving of the Spirit is dependent on Jesus' death for sin, as Jesus dies as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is now that Jesus has died and risen that Jesus can commission the apostles to forgive sins or not. But it is on the same basis as receiving eternal life, that is, believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus now crucified and risen, that he is God's Son, the Christ. The sins the apostles declare forgiven are the sins of those who repent and believe the gospel that Jesus is the Christ who has died for their sins and risen again. That forgiveness is the forgiveness of Jesus which is the forgiveness of God, for God has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And it is a full and final forgiveness, the forgiveness of the last day, for it brings the fulfilment of Jesus' promise. It brings eternal life. Now, that this is Jesus' judgment, that those who are pardoned are those who, are, who believe, is made even clearer when we think whose sins are not forgiven by Jesus, who he says are still in their sin. Whose sins does Jesus not forgive? Does he retain? It is the sins of those who do not believe in him. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, says in John 8, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And in John 16, the spirit, the sin the spirit will convict the world of is that they do not believe in Jesus. Sent by Jesus, cleansed, sanctified by Jesus, commissioned and equipped by Jesus with his spirit, the apostles bring the forgiveness and judgment of Jesus, of God, as they do the will of Jesus and speak the words of Jesus as they speak his gospel. So how did the apostles go about fulfilling their commission, go into the world as Jesus sent by the Father went into the world? We have an example here in John 20, verses Simon's already referred to, John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. John goes into the world by writing, by witnessing in what he has written to what he has seen and heard and sharing in what he has written the witness of others like Mary, the first witness to the resurrection. And John says eternal life is granted on Jesus' authority to those who believe what he has written of Jesus in this gospel, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. In Acts 2, we see the Apostle Peter going into the world by preaching in the power of the Spirit and with Jesus' authority, offering forgiveness to those who respond with faith, that is, those who repent, who turn away from trusting themselves to trust Jesus and are baptised into Jesus' name, confessing that he is Lord. And Peter there even offers this forgiveness to those he has just said shared in crucifying Jesus. When we are reading what John wrote, or when we are listening to what the apostles preach, we are listening to the risen Jesus. The promises that are made, promises of forgiveness and eternal life, are the promises of the risen Jesus. The warnings they give are the warnings of Jesus. It is through their witness that the living Jesus, King Jesus, speaks to us today. Their commissioning is his provision for us to hear him speak, to hear him speak that same word he spoke to his followers after his resurrection. And what a powerful word the Lord Jesus speaks through his apostles. Forgiveness, even to those who shared in killing him. So there is forgiveness in his word for you, no matter what you have done. Oh, and life the life of the age to come that starts now with the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who receive John's witness to Jesus. In century after century, country after country, even for people so far distant from those events like us, this word has brought life. So this Easter, listen as the risen king speaks in his gospel that same word to you as he spoke to his first followers. Hear first his gospel word, the promises life to all who believe in him, 
who believed that he, the crucified one, is God's son sent into the world to save. God's risen living king, his Christ, exercising the forgiveness and judgment of God through his word. The living one whose every promise is true. The risen Jesus who can give you the new life of God's spirit and raise you to eternal life. That is his promise to you. And if you think it is too good to be true, if like Thomas you fear disappointment in believing something so far from normal experience that someone who has died should rise to life and can forgive you and give you eternal life, in your unbelief let his word challenge and convict you. Hear the witness of his word, the witness of the eyewitnesses in his word to something outside all our experience. Jesus is risen. His followers saw him. They could see his wounds. They spoke with him. They touched him. They didn't make the resurrection up. The risen Jesus convinced them by his presence and his word. You see, the best explanation of their witness in the Gospels of what they say is that they are telling the truth. Look at their testimony. Hear his word. And if you want to test the testimony or test your objections to believing what they say, then talk with a Christian you know or get in touch with us. Oh, and if this morning you are in the grip of some of those uncomfortable emotions, grief, fear, confusion, hear him. In your grief, hear him call you by name in his gospel. It is not just Mary whose name he speaks. He says he calls all his sheep by name. So hear him. Trust him to be your good shepherd who knows you, who has laid down his life to give you life. Trust him by following him listening to him and taking direction from him and then know the comfort in your grief of being able to say in these times, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In your fear, hear him speak peace to you. He speaks peace in his word to all who trust him. In John 14, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the peace of being forgiven. The peace of being part of God's family, God's child through faith in Jesus. You see, if we are right with the living God, the almighty God, if we know the grace and love of the almighty God, What can the world do to us that will not serve our Father's good purpose for us? Even if it is death, remember what Paul said, to depart and be with Christ is better by far. Hear the living Lord Jesus speak peace as you turn to him. In your confusion, As our world is turned upside down, let his word bring clarity. To understand what his resurrection meant, Jesus directed his followers to God's word, his written word. His word will be light in our darkness. 
His word, all of it, will teach us how to live in these days in the light of Jesus' resurrection and reign. So just one example. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says that the gospel has taught him that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise him also with Jesus. Knowing this, knowing that Jesus' resurrection guarantees his resurrection and the resurrection of all believers, Paul then goes on to characterise his troubles and they were many and severe as light and momentary afflictions. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our outer life might be constricting. But the resurrection assures us of God's great goal for us, that eternal weight of glory. And the resurrection gives us then perspective on our present in the light of that great goal, these slight and momentary afflictions. And the resurrection then gives us a focus. We look to the things that are unseen, eternal, life with God, life with our Saviour. And with this perspective, Paul and we then know how we should live in all our trials. He makes it his aim, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, in all things to live to please the Lord Jesus. Let God's word bring you clarity about what conviction of the truth of Jesus' resurrection means for the way we view our lives, our times. As you hear Jesus' call, know his peace, are brought to conviction about the truth of his word. As you know your sins forgiven by believing the word preached and written by the apostles, the word Jesus commissioned and equipped and sent them into the world to speak, share that gospel word. It comes with Jesus' authority. It brings the forgiveness of the king that spares from judgment. It brings the life the risen Jesus gives. So this Easter, let your heart hear the voice of the risen Jesus. Let your life witness to the forgiveness, the comfort and joy it brings to the hope of our resurrection that the resurrection of Jesus gives us. And convicted by the apostles' witness of the truth of Jesus' resurrection, let your mouth speak of it with a joyful boldness to all. Rejoice, the Lord is risen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray in your mercy through the powerful work of your Spirit in our hearts we would hear the voice of the risen Jesus. Uh, we pray that in our grief 
We would know his comfort in our fear. We would know joy from knowing him in confusion. Our thinking would be clarified by the truth of his word. We pray that in our mortality we would know the hope of life and in conviction of our sin, the wrong that we have done, we would know forgiveness through his word. Let us hear his word and in your mercy let that word transform us and move us to share that life-giving word, the word that Jesus lives and now reigns with authority to forgive and to judge. Let us share that life-giving word with all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.